I'm Chanae Ogwumike. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, Front and Center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. With the first pick in the 2009 NFL Draft, the Detroit Lions select Matthew Stafford. Stafford, step it up, going left side, watch Calvin, Enzo, got him, oh baby, that was a rocket! And it's picked off, intercepted by Darius Slade, no one will catch him, touchdown! Hello and welcome to another episode of the Michael Rothstein Show. I am your host, Michael Rothstein. This episode brought to you by Indeed and by Bet Online. So it is Friday and you know what that means. That means it is preview day. We're going to have my colleague Courtney Cronin, who covers the Minnesota Vikings for ESPN, on the show. And excited to have Courtney on. She's been a multi-time guest on the program throughout the first year plus of us doing the show. Always good time and always great information when she comes on. We recorded this on Tuesday, so obviously there has been some changes there, including whether or not Matthew Stafford will play, because obviously he's on the COVID-19 reserve list at the moment. And, you know, some of the stuff with Kenny Galladay, although even back then it was kind of clear that Kenny Galladay might not play on Sunday and he hasn't practiced the last two days so he is trending at this point toward not playing so all of that just as a kind of buffer preparation I guess for when you listen to what we have to say about the Lions and the Vikings but about 95% of it holds up and holds up well a couple of things to note before we get into the podcast First, obviously, Matthew Stafford remains on the COVID-19 reserve list because he is a high-risk, high-contact scenario. Kelly Stafford posted on Instagram that her and her family have taken negative tests again, so she has been keeping everybody updated. The Lions had a third player in apparently a third separate incident that had nothing to do with one another, according to a league source, happen on Thursday when safety Jalen Elliott ended up on the COVID-19 reserve list. It's Elliott's second time on the list. He was one of the guys in training camp that ended up on the list. And if I remember correctly, he was also on the list the longest of any Lions player during that first wave. That's three in three days. I think it's worth noting also that I asked Matt Patricia on Thursday, whether he anticipated anyone else going on the COVID reserve list on Thursday. He said no, no one because of Matthew Stafford's situation. And that was that. So that's the second day in a row that he has used semantics to kind of not fully answer a question that then ends up getting answered later when it comes to people ending up on the COVID-19 reserve list. So just when you hear those things, at least as of right now, when he talks in, say, his press conference today, when he's inevitably asked about that again, and I can promise you I'm going to do my best to ask it again, that, you know, unless he actually comes out and says anything, if he kind of dances around words a little bit, you know, you should be maybe a little bit concerned just because of what's happened this week and clearly at least something's going on with the Lions in that they've had three in three days now even when even though they're unrelated three in three days is definitely something to at least raise your eyebrow about when it comes to what's going on with them and COVID obviously hopefully none of the three players on the list actually have COVID and if they do hopefully they are symptom free hopefully whoever they know that what they were in high contact with is symptom free and you know we we hope for best health for all of those all of those people affected uh a couple other things to note 
the offensive line seems to be getting a little bit better. I think there is concern. Obviously, Joe Dahl goes from limited practice to no practice. Vitae does practice. And Taylor Decker does practice as he goes back to limited practice. So that's a good sign that the left tackle is improving at least a little bit for Sunday's game. And you have to figure as well like that they're going to have to figure out some sort of offensive line combination. I would imagine Tyrell Crosby one way or the other gets back in the starting lineup as he's one of the few offensive linemen that is you know healthy at this point in the year at, or at least ready for this week. The other one that's not really been talked about right now, but Tracy Walker's missed both days of practice so far this week. I think that's a big loss for the Lions because you have to figure out who is playing that. My guess is that you probably see a lot more of Will Harris in that situation. Maybe you see more of J. Ron Curse, although Curse's role kind of as that in-the-box safety is really a good place for him to fit. So all those things as injuries have kind of happened throughout the week are things that maybe are starting to pop up. And obviously we don't know exactly what's going to happen at quarterback whether it's Matthew Stafford or Chase Daniel. But you imagine one of those two guys is going to be playing against the Vikings. If it's Stafford, he's going to be playing without any practice reps during the week. If it's Daniel, it's his first time playing as a Lions quarterback. We'll be back right after the break with our interview with Courtney Cronin, the ESPN Minnesota Vikings writer, right after this. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever, and Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. The wait is over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today. And get, take advantage of all of the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet online, you're online. Sportsbook experts. My next guest on the Michael Rothstein Show has been on this show a couple of times before, like Jeff Dickerson and Rob Domofsky before her. She's a multiple-time guest. No, there's no mugs. No, there's no gift cards. I'm sorry. Darn. Not this podcast. Just can't do it yet. But if y'all listen, maybe I'll be able to give my guests something someday. Courtney Cronin covers the Minnesota Vikings for ESPN, and she is joining us on the show. Courtney, welcome back. It's been so long. Thank you for having me. That was quite the introduction. When my, my high school radio show... We used to give out mad props because we never had the resources to give our guests anything either. So <laughs> mad props. I'll take that. I was going to say that that is the extent of what we're giving here on the show for now. Hopefully one day we'll figure it out. I know uh, John Kime, who's our counterpart in Washington, supposedly I've heard he gives things out and it, I need to kind of get on him about that as I've talked to him about it before, like, I just want to know how that happens, man. <laughs> man. Yeah. Know, Sign right? me up for some of that. 
I know. I, although I, it might be coffee and I don't drink coffee. So I'm kind of like, well, like that's you useless. You can send it me. my way. Yeah. Oh, I w- if that happens, because I'm going on a show next week when uh, the Lions play Washington. Uh, if, if there is that sort of thing, I will absolutely tell him to send the coffee to you instead. <laughs> <laughs> would appreciate that. Thank you. Well, as I say, you you probably need it these days covering the Vikings. Um, let's start on offense here. What do you make of Kirk Cousins at this point? Well, I, I know that we didn't get to see a whole lot of him really the other day when they beat Green Bay because he only threw 14 passes and he completed 11 of them. It was a windy day to begin with, so – with a healthy Dalvin Cook, or at least one that we knew would not have many restrictions on him ahead of time, you think, okay, if there's going to be wind gusts, they know that Kirk has had a lot of turnover issues this year. They're probably going to try to ignite their ground game first. Um, And, you know, the one thing with the Packers specifically, like how well they've defended the Vikings off play action the last few years, I think the Vikings kind of knew that going in, like, just with the way that they, you know, play on the outside and play on the edges, like they'll, they'll sell out for the run. Um, but they, you know, have been very good at containing Kirk off of bootleg action, things like that. So I think the game plan worked out better than anybody could have imagined, but like really in theory, you know, what Mike Zimmer's kind of done here is said, I don't mind making my $96 million uh, quarterback, you know, thinking about the two-year extension that he just got. I don't mind making him a decoy, which is a very expensive decoy, but they know that the way that they want to win games is with the run game. And you've seen them do it at points, um, you know, throughout the last two years, really ever since kind of they made the switch to offensive coordinator in 2018. And and from there on out, um, that's been their identity. They're a team that runs the ball a lot. That's how they want to win games. Uh, It doesn't always work, but more times than not, they have a better chance of doing that with Dalvin Cook than they do relying on a Kirk Cousins to win the game for you. Um, so I think that at this point, yeah, the offense came out re-energized from the bye for sure. But when Kirk is an afterthought, typically that's kind of a good thing for this offense because we're not talking about him turning the ball over. We're not talking about him getting strip sack and fumbling and you know, throwing interceptions and um, – you know, there's offensive line issues. Usually if we're not talking about Kirk, it's because the offensive line is run blocking and not having to pass block and get in some of those situations. So, you know, I, I know it's kind of a weird thing. It's like it keys to victory for the Vikings, take the ball out of Kirk Cousins' hands when you can and just rely on Dalvin Cook. That's kind of, I mean, that's kind of like the, one called the snarky way of saying it, but it's just kind of like the brutally honest way to, you know, define how they're going to be able to stay afloat here um, in what really looks like a manageable second half for them. That they've got, you know, they play the Lions twice, they play the Bears twice, um, they've got Jacksonville, they've got Carolina. Um, the Saints even looked beatable the other day, and obviously they're not going to beat Tampa Bay, but like there's a chance for them here to stay afloat. I don't give them a great chance, but like at least with the way that things panned out at the trade deadline and they think they can still win because they didn't trade anybody, um, they're going to go full throttle here in the second half. So I want to hit on something really quick that you mentioned, which is play action. Last year, two years ago, but even specifically last year, the Lions, it seems every time they ran play action, the Lions were fooled. Um, mm-hmm. Is that still pretty much how they really try to use Kirk most effectively? And do you anticipate that they're going to kind of go back to that play action uh, strategy again here on Sunday. Well, it's interesting because early on this season, they barely did any of it, like against the you know Green Bay week one, very little. I think he had like one or two. Um, Green, uh, the Colts the following week, very little again. Um, it, it's kind of interesting because that's his bread and butter. That's his strength. And they didn't really deviate to that until like a couple weeks into the season, which is surprising. But – um that is you know like I said I mean nobody can sell a ball fake better than Kirk Cousins I mean that is what he's known for him and Jimmy Garoppolo if they could just boot their way down to you know off every offensive snap that they're going to throw they probably would do it and even Mike Zimmer said that he wished that they could have done some of that in Green Bay switch it up because they're running the ball so effectively um but they obviously didn't and so I think that you'll probably end up seeing more of it because they're going to be indoors they'll be at home 
They know that, okay, you can't just sell out, you know, teams are going to sell it for the run if you're, if you're running it as effectively as they did in Green Bay, but they're not going to be able to bring that 24-7. So I do think that there is a chance for Kirk to maybe get going a little bit better uh, returning to U.S. Bank Stadium for the first time since the Atlanta game. Dalvin Cook obviously has a massive game on Sunday. Is A, he fully healthy at this point? And B, how did that transpire? Because, like, Green Bay's run defenses seemed like they've been okay. Like, was it just a couple of big runs, or just did, could they just not handle him? You know, I think Green Bay's defense has a lot of issues that they never really address. Because think about how many times the 49ers ran the ball in the NFC Championship and sure. just got, like, dragged up and down the field. And then it's like, okay, it was January. We're in November. 11 months later, you still haven't figured those issues out. And, and Dalvin Cook has, you know, 30 carries. Um, and, and they're just, they're committed to it. Like when they actually stay committed to it, they can, they can stay afloat and beat teams. Um, cause they can jump out to an early lead or at least like even things up and keep themselves, you know, pretty, you know, pretty good margin. But, um, you know, I think there's something special about Dalvin cook when healthy, you know, right now he's number two in rushing and he's missed like one and a half games. Uh, that's, you know, when he's healthy, that's the reason that they paid him. Like, he changes the dynamic of this team. And you even saw that Atlanta game, how miserable they were against the run, or, you know, with their run game. Um, Alexander Madison's a good backup, don't get me wrong, but there is, like, think back to the Seattle game, too. Like, does Dalvin Cook convert on fourth and one? Probably because he has, you know, he, his field vi- vision is elite. He knows how to cut, like, nobody's business. I, I'm not blaming Alexander Madison for anything. I just think that there's a very vast difference between the rest of the running back room and Dalvin cook and that you can't just replace him if he's hurt. Um, he told me last week that, you know, as I asked him about like the game, like, when did you know? Because Gary Kubiak, when I asked him about a pitch count was very um, like kind of dispelling the notion. He's like, well, nothing's really indicated for me. They would need one. And I honestly think that, um, you know, I was worried going in for, for Dalvin's health thinking, okay, this is, this is an injury he hasn't dealt with. He had two weeks, yes, to rest it, but it's not like, you know, not like an ACL. It's not like a knee or hamstring. Like groin is a weird, like a adductor strain. It's just a weird, weird injury. So I think that um, we're in a situation now that if you can let him go like that, it's the best thing that you can do for the health of this team. But just being like so careful um, in terms of keeping, you know, him fresh, that's going to be like the priority here going forward. Do you, so do you think that they would maybe go as heavy as they did last week? It sounds like no, based off of what you said, and that was maybe wind based game plan. Uh, or do you think that they might maybe try to keep it at like 17 to 20? Um, you know, I think that, I mean, he had what, like 226 yards from scrimmage and four touchdowns last week. Yeah. Like that's not going to happen every week. Like teams are going to, and teams figure that out. I think like, honestly, they saw a chance with green Bay and just given the weather conditions um, that they were going to be able to do that. And their downfield blocking was great. Like they got a really good byproduct out of the rest of the offense in order to let that happen. But happy medium for cook. I think, you know, he's somebody who we anticipated, 250 270 touches this season and I think he's you know if you, if you talk about pace and kind of what he's on on track to do like he's gonna eclipse that you know by week 14 um so I mean you got to be mindful of that with him because yes he has the five-year extension and yes they can get out of it well before then but like you don't I think that's kind of the hard thing at least I know they're probably having these conversations behind the scenes no one's publicly going to be able to like give you a good quote on it but like let's say this is a lost season. Do you want to run Dalvin cook into the ground and put unnecessary weight and touches on him when you need him fresh for 2021? Like if they lose the next couple games, will we start to see a shift where there's more Alexander Madison and less Dalvin cook um, or less of the workload that you saw him take on this past week? I, I'm not so sure, but it's something I think you have to consider considering what his injury history has been and, you know, trying to keep him fresh because you, clearly you need, him clearly is this a team i mean two weeks ago this is a team like you because you said obviously the next couple of games 
a couple of weeks ago, this looked like a team, a franchise that was almost like, all right, 2020 is not going to work. Mm-hmm. Looking to 2021, they trade in Gakwe. Like, do you look at it now, yeah. or do you think they look at it now differently now that they've won a couple in a row where all of a sudden they're like, well, maybe, maybe not out of this. Yeah. It's frustrating because they're such a roller coaster this year. And it's like, I remember writing after the Houston loss um, or Houston win. It was like, don't read too much into this guys. Houston's terrible. And the Vikings still nearly lost that game because their defense was on the field on the final possession. So it's like, great. You got to win against Houston. Congratulations. Um, but then it's like, you know, the Seattle game, it was a completely different team, but again, you know, you don't close it out on offense. So you're forced with your defense against, you know, back against the wall against a really good quarterback. You lose the game by one point. Um, Atlanta was a complete embarrassment. Like, and then you go and you beat a green Bay team that like, are we, and I'm not like taking anything away from what the Vikings did. That was very impressive. And finally they get a win with Kirk cousins, Dalvin cook, like they all finally get a win at Lambeau field. Um, it's their first one for both of those guys. And, you know, does this change the direction of the season for them? I really don't know. Like the logic, the logical brain part of my brain tells me, you know, they're going to have to do a lot even to get to seven and nine this year, because you can't just go ahead and say, okay, well, the lions and the bears are not very good either. So Mark four wins down, you know, that's not going to happen. Um, Panthers are, I don't know what they are. Are Jacksonville? Sure. Go ahead and mark a win down against Jacksonville. But like, you know, it's a team that I just think that they didn't really figure out what the true plan of attack was this off season. They never committed to, okay, we're rebuilding. Okay. We're in win now. Like it was, it was never one or the other. They tried to do both at once and that doesn't work because you can't lose nine players from your defense and then anticipate, okay, defense is just going to be just fine because we're going to have a brand new set of corners who didn't have an off season. And then on top of that, like you lose Daniel Hunter, Michael Pierce opts out, uh, Anthony Barr's gone for the year because he's hurt. Like there were a lot of things that you just couldn't predict, but I don't think that they ever went into this, like trying to have like one true direction. I don't know if it's ever really been done where a team can reboot while still being dominant and winning on one side of the ball or even both. Like, I just don't know if that's possible. Is that, I mean, do you think that that was some of the, when you look back at their draft and they had what, 14 picks, like, is that part 15, of yeah, 15, 15 picks? Is that, was that part of it too, of kind of that living in both realms or do you think mm-hmm. that the strategy was rebuild and then they kind of are like, wait, can't really do that. No, I think it was living in both realms. You've got it pretty much how I would, I would write it out because if you weren't like, the perfect example of it is in one day, that Monday of free agents before free agency at like 9 a.m. They announced the extension for Cousins. They did that because they needed to free up some cap space because they had no no money. What do they do with that? Like within like 30 minutes of signing Cousins, they go and use that money to franchise Anthony Harris um, because they were hoping to tag and trade him. Obviously, it didn't happen then. Did not happen today. They've been trying to move him. He's not going to be on the roster next year, I don't think. But anyways, it's like there's a period of about like 12 hours from when you make the all-in type move to extend Kirk Cousins ahead of when his contract's up, which he didn't need to do. Um, And then you trade Stephon Diggs away about like 9 p.m. that night. And like that's 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 an all-in move in the morning, but then a rebuilding move at the end of the night. And like it it just – none of it really made sense. None of it added up. And – Sure, I think that Justin Jefferson is a star and going to be incredible for this team. Like, he is the sweet spot, along with Dalvin Cook, um, of a a year that's been so up and down for them. So, like, but it's just like none of it made sense. None of it really added up. And you have 15 draft picks in a year that you don't have OTAs and you don't have a normal training camp, and you anticipate so many of these guys having to play early on. Like, how could you not be truly in a rebuild um, for the most part, like I just, I've never understood why teams can think on one side of the ball, we can be rebuilding while on the other side, the other, like if, if you're at full strength, essentially on offense or the continuity factor that they tried to like boast for, for so long, um, you know, the offense has never carried the defense here. So I don't understand in this year of all years, 
why they anticipated that that would be reality that that could happen is that maybe was that maybe their biggest issue early on you think is that they were relying too much on that or was that just a faulty thing from the jump no i mean like i think that they knew this year that like okay the cap situation back in the off season was terrible they were going to have to let guys walk age was a factor um with so many of their defensive players like the whole thing just you know it was it was you could see the writing on the wall for a while um and then you're in a situation that like you're relying on offensive continuity and that was the buzzword throughout the off season that that was going to be what carries them through this year well that's just like never happened here like I don't know why they thought it could they could make it happen in a year that like there's all these complications with like not being able to like actually get the offense together um you take away Kirk's top receiver and you replace him with again Justin Jefferson's very good but like all this stuff like I feel like they bit off more than they can chew and you saw that stuff playing out in so many games in the early part of the season where the defense can't stop anybody and they can't get off the field or they're on the field in the final possession. You're kind of biting your nails, like wondering, okay, what's going to happen here. I mean, even Mike Zimmer said it on Sunday when Aaron Rodgers is on the field for the final, what 50 something seconds, like they never felt that they put that game away. And can you imagine how like devastating that loss would be? Had they, you know, they were up by two touchdowns at one time. If they would have lost that game in green Bay because their defense couldn't pull off a stop. And I mean, you know, if DJ Wanham doesn't sack Aaron Rodgers, I I don't know what happens in that game. Like, I I think that they have been close in a lot of games, but like at the end of the day, you can't hang your hat on, well, we lost by one point, you know, that doesn't show up in the, that just doesn't matter at the end of the day, like you lost. So um, I think it's a situation that you know, they, they probably knew like, they're smart enough to know that this was very much like the likely outcome of what was going to happen. It's just like, you know, I feel like they got a little, they bought into their own hubris a little bit too much of like, we can still pull this off while trying to rebuild. Did you mentioned Stefan Diggs a couple of times and Justin Jefferson a couple of times. Do they really miss Diggs at this point? Or was that, has Jefferson filled in well enough or maybe even better where that isn't as big of an issue now. Maybe it wasn't like week one or two, but now. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think that the, the Jefferson was – they got him off to a pretty slow start. He didn't really ignite until week three against Tennessee. But um, they realize now that they made the right pick. Like, I mean, that's a no-brainer. He's an offensive rookie of the year candidate. Like, I mean, it's very obvious how good he is. But – I just think with a guy like Kirk Cousins, um, I really wasn't anticipating Jefferson being able to like, quote unquote, get on the same page with him that quickly. Um, and maybe it's just like, I don't know, because I, I think about it, because like Kyle Rudolph barely gets targeted anymore. And it's like, he's been with Kirk for three years now. Like, why is he so <laughs> underutilized? It's not like those two aren't on the same page. Um, I think the skill level in the, in like the, the skill set that Jefferson brings, he's a downfield threat, he can you know, he's an incredible route runner, probably not to level of Adam Thielen yet, but he's really damn good. Um, and, and beyond that, like he's, he, he gives you things that Thielen doesn't um, and Thielen, you know, vice versa. Like, so I think that you do finally have like a really nice compliment and sure. Um, you know, it, it was interesting the first couple of weeks to figure out, okay, what are they going to, what are they going to look like without Stefan Diggs? But like now even, I think that they're in a good spot where you can be like, okay, that was a bet that they made and it ended up paying off. How have teams been defending the two of them? Because you saw in the past how they would, you know, some teams would really kind of try to take away Thielen. Some teams would really try to take away Diggs. Like it doesn't seem like you can maybe do that as well with this duo. So how have teams been trying to handle both of them? Like the last few weeks since Jefferson's really emerged. Well, I think that you saw it in Green Bay. Like, Jair Alexander was on Jefferson for a good part of that game. It wasn't necessarily shadowing him the whole time, but, like, he, you know, he, he, he gave him, you know, a really good, a really good test uh, in, in week eight. And I think you're going to start to see, you know, Jefferson's arrived. And now the second half of the year, kind of like Randy Moss in his rookie season, how does he adjust to the coverages that are thrown his way if he's getting bracketed, if he's, you know, seeing more attention than he usually would, like 
because you've proven, okay, I am a legitimate threat. You'd need to put somebody on me. And that would actually free up Adam Thielen. Like that's kind of what I thought was going to happen last week that given Matt LaFleur's comment of, oh yeah, he's already a number one receiver. Like he's, you know, superstar or whatever. Pete Carroll called him that the other week. Like it makes sense to think, okay, teams are taking notice. How are they actually going to change and, and dedicate some more attention to him? So I wouldn't be surprised, you know, if the Lions kind of do something similar there. Well, it's funny you mentioned that the Lions are still trying to figure out whether they want to play man or zone most weeks. So they're at that point in their season. <laughs> um, I mean, seriously, it's, it's you know, I, I guess let me – I'm curious about that. Have teams been playing more man or zone against these guys? You know, I think it kind of just depends, like, what the game requires. I mean, I don't really know what the heck Houston was doing. Like, I don't – that one was kind of surprising. But I think, you know, you will see more man coverage with this team just because of who their top skill players are. Like, you know, that's always kind of been at least, like, the way that I've looked at it. Like, it's, you know, not saying that it's the same Thielen and Diggs, like Thielen and Jefferson, but, like, I think a lot of what you saw with like having those two together is kind of mimicked and translated into at least a very small sample size. Like when Jefferson's playing really well and like he and Thielen having the, you know, 200 yard days uh, together in Houston, that type of thing. Like I think that kind of points to the direction of where this thing is going. Looking kind of let's switch over to defense a little bit. The defense for so long has been, kind of like a Matthew Stafford, like, hey, we're just going to send all of our rushers and we're just going to meet at Stafford and and hurt him. I mean, yeah, second nine times or whatever it was. Yeah, I mean, I'm like, Daniel, I'm, I'm pretty sure Matthew Stafford's kind of looking at the Vikings and be like, oh, wow, Daniel Hunter's not there? Cool. Like, because Daniel Hunter, it seems like, has sacked him so many times, as has his new teammate, Everson Griffin, who we'll get to. But how fundamentally different besides – like the names on the back of the jerseys, is this defense this year than what the Lions have seen for the last six or seven? Yeah, it's vastly different. I think that that's the thing. Like, I don't know if anybody really expected um, with all the pieces that they lost in free agency and then obviously with injury and a young group that this defense was going to look like it did. I mean, Mike Zimmer, you know, credit to him about what happened in Green Bay. You lose three corners in the middle of the game. You have, like, two healthy corners, and, you know, you're having a safety play nickel, and he hadn't practiced there during the week. Like, they're, they've been in, like, crisis mode um, all season long. So, I mean, that's a situation that I think was inevitable, just given all that they lost. And, and yeah, I think that the, deep, the pass rush itself, you know, they only sacked Rodgers once. It was that final play. Um they had to adjust a lot because even with Unique and Gakwe, they were blitzing a ton in week one against Green Bay. This time around, like, it just kind of looked different because you don't have Anthony Barr there at linebacker. You've got Eric Kendrick and Eric Wilson. Um, and, you know, your defensive ends are essentially like these no-name guys that it just looks – it's a stark difference from having Everson Griffin and Daniil Hunter on your edge and Linville Joseph eating up the run in the middle and, you know – doesn't really matter, I guess, at that point, who you had at three technique last year because they were still pretty good on the defensive line. Um, but, yeah, I think it's going to be vastly different. I, I, I know that like, you're right. Like, it's always like, how many times are they going to sack Matthew Stafford? Are they going to break, like, the single-game record or something? But um, I just anticipated it's going to be different this year. Do you think that they regret moving on from so many uh, – now, granted, they couldn't have necessarily anticipated Neil Hunter was going to get hurt. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that Pierce, when all that happened, was going to opt sure. out. Do you think they regret now maybe letting Griffin go, letting Joseph go, considering what's happened? Well, they wanted to keep Everson around. Like, that's the thing. I just think that they were – the deal he got in Dallas initially was very similar to what I was told um, the deal the Vikings had offered him. So – you know, they wanted to keep him around. That was not somebody they wanted to move on from, but he had a, vo- uh, he had a player void, uh, player controlled void in his contract last January or February, whenever it was that he had to, um, you know, he had to be the one to enact that because otherwise he was going to get cut. Like that was the way that they structured it when they gave him a restructure to come back for the 2019 season. So, um, 
I, I think, you know, for Everson, it was a matter of like, he still felt like he could play at a really high level and he wanted to see if he could make more, maybe a fresh start. Um, but I mean, yeah, they definitely miss him. I think that that would have solved a lot of problems. Um, you know, the whole Pierce thing is like the wild one we never talk about because he was never here. Like, you know, he opts out on July 24th, the day that the veterans report. And, you know, Linville Joseph was kind of that quiet guy in the middle that we like quietly like, just never really talked about, but he had such a huge role in that defense. Like yeah. reason Eric Kendricks is all pro last year is who's playing in front of him. Like, you know, Linville was a tremendous talent, still is. But I, I think that, you know, I mean, they couldn't pay a nose guard 10 or $11 million. This wasn't going to happen. So I think that their financial situation kind of caught up to them and put them in a situation that, you know, they had no other choice but to move on from some of those guys. But I definitely think that, you know, with Xavier Rhodes, it felt like the writing was on the wall, but it looks like he's kind of rejuvenated his career with the Colts. Like they didn't want to let go of both Trey Waynes and Mackenzie Alexander, but they couldn't hold on to them because, you know, the offers that they got in free agency, they'd rather, they, they thought those were better offers and that's what they went with. Does Harrison Smith look around and be like, who are these guys? Like, Probably. <laughs> I mean, I, I feel for Harrison because he's at the later part of his career. He's 31 or 32 um he's going to be facing probably a contract restructure and extension next year just to get his cap number down and you know I remember ahead of the trade deadline like was he a name that people were interested in and it sounded like they wanted to trade Anthony Harris and all this other stuff but you know he's he's got considerable weight on his shoulders because of this whole situation and um I think that you know his patience and his uh, teaching ability to help some of these young defensive backs who are like 10 years, his junior, it's kind of wild, um, you know, because he's, he's been around, he's played in really good defenses. And this is certainly a rebuilding uh, year that, you know, I'm sure he probably figured would happen, but I don't think anybody thought it would be, you know, it, it's looked bad at points. I mean, yes, there are good moments. I think that there's several good takeaways from Sunday, but like by and large, it's been tough. Ben, we were talking a little bit about Everson Griffin before. Obviously, he's expected to make his Lions debut on Sunday in Minnesota. What can people expect from him in Detroit? Because I think they've they've seen him so much, but I don't know if they understand on a week to week basis what he's able to do at this point. Still, yeah, I mean, he's he's still a very violent pass rusher, and. I think when used correctly, um, you know, he's at that part of his, I think he's about 32 years old. Like he's at the point of his career that, you know, pass rushers are really entering their prime. Like he is very much in it and he has shown that there's been very little to no drop off. I don't know what the deal was in Dallas. I don't, I think it's more so Mike Nolan than any of the players that they had. Um, and I would say that, I mean, he's, he brings energy and he is, I'm really looking forward to seeing what that matchup looks like with him and Riley Reef on Sunday. And, 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 you know, if he sacks Kirk, is what's he going to do? Do like the Daniil Hunter break down the door thing? Um, like, you know, what celebration is Everson going to bring out? And, and I mean, he's, he was a very big part of this team. And one of the more underrated parts, like when he left, they lost their vocal leader. Cause it's kind of like guys are looking around like, all right, whose team is this? Who, you know, who's going to step up and talk this week? Like Everson was the one who broke down the huddle by and large throughout the last few years. Um, and he was the soul, the heartbeat of this team. So, you know, when they lost him and they lost digs on offense, like it's kind of like, okay, well we need to find some leadership here. And that's been kind of the thing that like, you know, no underrated part at all. Like that's one thing that they've really been struggling to do this year. Do you think that – how do you think – well, obviously, I don't, fans are not going to be in there on Sunday, correct? No, they uh, are only doing 250 family members. So that 250 family members, what, what's their reaction going to be to Everson? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I, – I honestly don't know. Um, I'm sure he'll get a nice little ovation. You know, it's hard – it's very quiet in there um, because they haven't had fans. And I honestly don't know at this rate, considering Minnesota really hasn't budged on its indoor protocols, the state that is, um, you know, what's going on with that. So I, 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 I'm sure, I'm sure, I don't know if it'd be kind of cool if they did like a video tribute board to him or something like him and AP coming back. Like they've done that for Peterson 
multiple times now. Um, obviously, week one of the 2017 season when he's with the Saints, I don't believe they did anything when he came back from – I don't know if he came here when he was with – I'm trying to remember. He was with Arizona. Was he playing or was he hurt um, in 17? And then, obviously, last year he came back with the uh, – Washington football team and they did something for him in case so that was kind of cool I would think they would do that with Robertson again although I mean would they do it because there's no real fans there like isn't that more of like a fan thing I, I don't know I don't know I don't know I mean like they've still been doing some like in arena uh type you know fanfare which is kind of cool yeah I, I mean do, at this point do you think that Peterson coming back to Minnesota matters anymore or has it happened so I think people have moved point? on yeah it, yeah, I'm with you. I think that the people have kind of moved on from it. 2017 was very much the changing of the guard because, you know, they signed Latavius Murray in free agency and then they draft Alvin Cook and that was all writing on the wall. They were going to get rid of Adrian and kind of, you know, now it's kind of the, the real, you know, a chance to kind of look back and be like, okay, three years later, now where is, you know, they obviously made the right decision. Um, Dalvin is a franchise player for them, but you know, just how different the run game looks like, like what it looks like now versus with AP, I think now's probably a good time to judge it because you have a much bigger sample size than the last couple of times that he would have returned. Well, plus Peterson's not playing particularly well at the moment yeah. with, with, you know, one point he's, uh, his yards per carry have decreased every single game since week one, <laughs> everyone. It's less, and you know, Daryl Be- Daryl Bevel's another guy. I mean, I don't know if they would do a tribute thing for him, but obviously, he spent so much time in Minnesota too. It's like weird the connections that are on this team. J. Ron Curse yeah. as well. J. Ron Curse, a J. Ron revenge game. <laughs> I, I don't imagine they'll do a tr- video tribute board for J. Ron Curse. I would love to see if they did. <laughs> would that just be a bunch of special teams plays, or? <laughs> Yeah, a bunch of that, a bunch of J-Ron yelling from the locker room, maybe. He was one of the loudest players. <laughs> I, could always tell who, you know, I could always tell he was around because he, uh, his voice is very discernible. Um, but, no, I mean, like, they he played that big nickel position well for them, and honestly, with their safety depth, had they been able to keep him, they might have. But, obviously, there was some other stuff last year and kind of just, like, you know, where he, where he kind of maxed out with his ceiling in Minnesota. I think that, you know, both sides were probably happy to move on at that point. We've kind of joked about it a little bit with the amount of you know Vikings, especially on defense. Do you think that having Curse and now Griffin might help them, like we were talking about earlier with the play action issues that the Lions had last year and even mm-hmm. 18, do you think that that helps them because they saw this offense at least in sure. part for springs and, and training camps? Yeah, I would say it can't hurt, right? Like they would be in a situation where they can give, you know, some important Intel. Um, I'm always curious, like how that actually works with players. Like do, are they brought into a meeting with the entire coaching staff and then they go through things? Like I have no idea like how that works. I'd love to sit, be a fly on the wall if that does happen. But, you know, certainly Everson played his entire career, um, you know, most, I mean, even longer than that in Minnesota, but like he's been with Mike Zimmer a long, 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 long time. Uh, J-Ron was there his entire career. So it's like they know the ins and outs of this defense. So I'm sure that they could definitely give some pointers. Where do you think the weakness is on this defense now? I mean, probably a lot of places still. Like, nothing's been fixed. Like, that's the thing. Like, the back end is – I mean, they're they're decimated by injuries. And, like, they're not giving up the big explosive play um, nearly as much as they were earlier in the season. I think that that probably has been – they've probably been able to fix that part of it, but it's still an issue. Um, a lot of it's like the, the technique. I mean, the fact that like your quarterbacks are getting called out by the head coach for like not having their eyes in the right place, not knowing their leverage, like that's like day one stuff. And we're hearing it on the TV broadcast too. So, I mean, like you, you, you think about things like that and it's like, okay, is it the coaching or is it the players? And I honestly think you have to deviate to the responsibility being that of the players. Like, just because it just doesn't, this is the NFL. Like, you got to, like, learn how to play the technique. And the fact that we're talking about that in week eight last week, like, during the Green Bay game, I think that's a problem. But youth is probably the biggest, the biggest demise of this defense. Um, you're going to have to start over at some point. 
I think just kind of recognizing that and making the rest of this year about player development on defense is going to be clutch. Um, but like, will that hurt you in terms of like who, you know, if you can actually make a push towards the playoffs, I guess we'll see. Well, that's the interesting part too, because I'm guessing Mike Zimmer's probably a bit safer than the Detroit situation, but is he yeah. safe enough that he can kind of go down that road if they lose a couple more games or because there's that potential even for that eighth playoff spot now? That, that certainly helps. The eighth playoff spot helps. Um, and being able to, you know, you got a three-year extension, right? It doesn't even kick in until next year. You can kind of go to ownership and be like, look, we knew we were going to be rebuilding. Well, it's like, okay, well, you didn't publicly say that. I just think that like ownership doesn't really have a good pulse on what's going on in terms of like everything else. Um, at least it's just kind of what I gather from talking to people that, you know, they're in a situation now where they gave Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman three-year extensions. They gave Kirk Cousins a two-year extension. They extended Dalvin Cook, you know, on the five-year deal. Um, they spent a lot of money this off season to make this thing come together. And the fact is like, it hasn't come together the way that they wanted to. Do I think Mike Zimmer's on the hot seat? it kind of varies with every single game. Like had they lost green Bay, I would have said yes. Like, but the, the, the realist in me thinks they are not going to spend like that much money of whatever a buyout would be or whatever, you know, the, the amount would be to get him out of the contract to do that. I mean, they did give Brad Childress an extension one time and then got out of it right away a year later um, would they do that again here? Maybe, but I don't know though, because it, it, we're in a pandemic. Um, financials are, are different this year. The NFL teams have lost a lot of money with the caps going down. It's like 175 million next year. I don't know. Um, but I don't, I don't think, I, I don't even think Zimmer thinks his job is completely safe. Um, which is why you've seen kind of some of the decisions to play Dalvin Cook as heavy as they did in week eight um, and, you know, things like that. Like Zimmer knows he's not in the clear completely. And I think that that's pretty evident. So what do you think happens Sunday? Because it really feels like to me, when I look at this, it's just kind of like two teams that are like, no idea what you're going to, what you're going to get from them. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, You'd like to think if you're a Vikings fan that like, okay, did this beat a really good Green Bay team, or at least what we think is a really good Green Bay team? Um, can they handle the emotional high of that, of like, you know, kind of putting the first part of the season to bed and be able to come back home and, and you know, punch Detroit in the mouth and, you know, win the game at home? You'd like to think that they could do that, but like nothing's ever seamless in the NFL. And like, I just, I haven't made my pick yet, but like, I honestly think that, this could it's such a toss-up like because it's not like Detroit is that much better or worse than the Vikings and the Vikings aren't that much better or worse than Detroit if that makes any sense like oh it totally does that's how I look at it like it's just like I don't know who stinks less like personally I think Minnesota probably stinks less um but that's also because don't forget there's a decent chance so we're recording this on Tuesday night there's a decent chance Kenny Galladay is not playing this week. Trey Flowers is on injured reserve. Well, okay. That's yeah, you got maybe, a lot of injuries. That's, that's maybe your most important defensive player and your second most important offensive player that one's definitely not going to play. The other one might not play, probably trending towards not – at least as of Tuesday, you get the feeling he's not going to play. What good – like <laughs> – I don't know if that came across on the podcast, but like, it's like, what do you do if you're the lions at that point? Because your depth at receiver is not great. Um, even though like, you know, they have some confidence in Marvin Hall and Quintus Cephas, but your depth at defensive end is now Romeo Aquara and Everson Griffin. And that's it. Like, yeah. Well, I mean, where are you getting your pass rush? So it's like, you know, you're talking about the Vikings maybe not being able to rush the pass rush. Like, Kirk Cousins may have, like, six, seven seconds in the backfield. <laughs> yeah. He might. But, like, I mean, what about Everson Griffin? Like, we're counting for him too, right? Like, Yeah, for sure. But what's to say the Vikings not know? And, again, this is just hypothesis, right? If you're Mike Zimmer at this point, or if you are Gary Kubiak at this point, aren't you basically saying, all right, we know Everson Griffin knows what we do. Let's double him. 
mean, you probably would. Um, that's why I think it's going to be such an evenly matched game. Like, I don't think it's going to be blowout one way or the other. But, yeah. um, you know, they're in a situation that, you know, I feel like with, you know, the offensive line's not fixed by any stretch. The left side is better, though, than the right side. Um, so, I mean, depending like where they're going to line up Griffin, I don't think he'll go anywhere other than right defensive end, but yeah, you probably would put it, you know, try to chip him, do things like that. But, um, you know, it's going to depend too, like, what are the, you know, are they going to try to establish the run again with Dalvin cook? Is that going to be like the, the primary focus here going into this game? I'm, you know, I would think they're going to want to lean pretty heavy on it. Right. Well, that's the interesting thing too, because the lions have in some games, Jacksonville, Atlanta, now, Atlanta has Gurley. Jacksonville has, you know, James Robinson, who's looked really good. They've been quite good against the run. But then when they faced Alvin Kamara, when they faced Aaron Jones, they, they were atrocious. I mean, they gave up 250-something yards rushing to Green Bay. Like, so what defense are you getting? And if they allow Dalvin Cook to, to get going, I mean, the, Kirk Cousins may only have to throw, like, six passes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's true. Um, and at that point, it's, wouldn't you want that to happen? Because then you don't risk him turning the ball over. Probably. Although the Lions aren't exactly cr- picking off passes these days either. If you can't tell, I'm not really high on the Lions defense. <laughs> to, no, I don't blame you. I, don't, I'm not, I wouldn't be high on either of them. No. <laughs> this game's, this game's going to be rough, isn't it? This is going to be a rough game yeah, to watch. I, I tend to think you're right about that. Oh, <laughs> uh, Courtney, it's going to be interesting on Sunday. I, I appreciate you swinging on by to chat, and we'll we'll do it again in Week 17 when probably both of those team these teams are playing for not much. I'm looking forward to it. Thank <laughs> you for having me. Absolutely. Welcome back. I want to thank Courtney Cronin for coming on the show as. Always, she's always so great and so kind and generous with her time when she does. You can follow her on Twitter at Courtney R. Cronin. And you can follow me on Twitter and on Facebook. On, well, Twitter and Instagram, rather, at Mike Rothstein. On Facebook at Michael Rothstein Journalist. We will do a live chat on Sunday, probably since it's a road game that I am not going to. Probably closer to that 11.45, 12 o'clock, 12.15 window than what we've been doing with home games, which ends up being around 9.30 before I go to the stadium. So look out for that. If you'd be so kind, leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcast, whether that's Google Play, Apple Podcasts, iTunes. And please download and subscribe. Hopefully you enjoyed the interview with Jason Cabinda on Thursday. And with that, we will talk with you on Monday.